All right, episode 103 of Inappropriate Earl. Never thought we'd get uh, this far into it, but uh, here we are. And, uh, you know, some of the most popular episodes of all time were the two-part episode with uh, Tommy Morse, the ex-talent coordinator of the Comedy Store, a, a divisive figure in the world of comedy for his uh, the way he ran things at the Comedy Store. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'd like to get a not-so-divisive figure from the world of L.A. comedy to kind of give a, not necessarily a counterpoint, but just a different take on what it is to run one of the biggest comedy clubs, if not the biggest comedy club in the country, the Hollywood Improv. He has the same job as Tommy, has Adam at the Comedy Store, and you won't find one bad word about him in this business. So please, put your... Rubby little hands together for the talent coordinator of the Hollywood Improv, Mr. Jamie Flam. The beloved. No one with a bad word to say about me. I have never heard a bad <laughs> word about you. Um, well, I try to be. I try to be a good guy, but uh, I, I think there's certainly detractors out there. Well, I mean, everyone wants spots. Yeah, but. I think the way you do it in terms of the way you reject people or not, maybe I shouldn't say reject, <laughs> I'm a, but, uh, I'm an elegant rejector. Well, you are. I mean, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but, uh, you know, I had gotten up at the improv once, I think Paige, the lovely manager there had arranged something and you came up to me afterwards and said, and I, I'm sure you don't remember this, but I do cause you were so nice in how you said it. <laughs> Hey, Earl, I think you're great. I know everyone loves you, but I've got 10 spots a week to give out. So until you get a little more uh, buzz or, or something along those lines, heat, uh, I can't really put you up. I said that? Yeah. Really? But so I must have been the one with the buzz. No, but I appreciated, <laughs> although I walked away a little bummed out, I walked away kind of happy okay i know where i stand here well that's more than i think a lot of comics can say and a big thing i've been trying to change um actively the last i've been there five years but um in the last six months to a year trying to uh make it more of a place where a young comic knows where they stand and so it's a long way from being anywhere close to the store as far as a system but the improv has always been i think for a lot of comics like this impenetrable fortress or just this, uh, if nothing else, just confusing. Like you kind of don't know exactly cause there's not a pass system like the store where, um, like you said, where you stand, like if you look at the lineups on any given night, um, it's, it's kind of more of a hodgepodge than the store, which is just a lot more consistent as far as here's the past comics. Here's who you're going to see, you know, the, the, the store books every spot, every night at least in the uh, original room yeah and i pretty much the main room i think adam yeah. uh it, it's uh i guess a more set system than mm -hmm. the improv so but that's you know we're actively trying to uh develop more of a system like that there but i think you and adam are, are very similar like i've seen adam tell people who uh he might not intend on giving spots to he'll tell them that in the nicest ways you can tell someone that mm -hmm. and you know where 
Tommy, just to briefly touch on him, mm-hmm. would kind of encourage people he had no intention of passing or giving spots to, yeah, come up, hang out. You know, it's an artist colony. It's it's like a college uh, system here. You know, you work your way up to the pros. And, you know, I think people, at least I, appreciate much more your and Adam's, hey, I can't put you up. I'm not telling you to come up here and hang out. I'll do what I can. But, you know, right now it is what it is. I think people prefer that. Yeah, well, I mean, in talking to Adam, um, you know, it takes a while to develop that muscle. And we have a um, commiserate over the fact that, you know, we we, we always want to be nice guys and and are people pleasers. Um, And I have in my entire life. So this job has forced me. Um, over the last five years to become better at, at, at saying no. And it's still not easy, but when you're being come at by hundreds, literally hundreds of comics, and at the improv, I think more so than the store, the, the industry, agents, managers, producers, casting people, it's from every single angle, and including my bosses, you know, the improv is a, a big company. So, you know, I have directives from my boss who she books the entire chain and so she has all the politics of her job i don't think a lot of people understand that the politics of booking the hollywood improv really expands to the entire chain so it's uh you know when you're dealing with a manager that wants to get this young guy or girl up you have to keep in mind that they also manage this massive uh star that the club wants in the entire chain so that's kind of just to give a brief kind of insight into like, that's how you have to uh, keep a lot of people happy. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, people don't realize the the pressure that, you know, you're under to take care of certain comics, you know, because you want to work with them in the future and at other improvs. And it's, uh, I mean, I don't take it personally. I think some people take it personally. Well, you don't think I'm funny and, you know, I mean, there's certain realities of the business that, hey, you might be funnier than this person, but he's on a Netflix show. So, right, right. I mean, that, that does play into it to a degree, like TV credits and uh, industry deals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think you have to say no to a lot of funny people. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds a week. That's not necessarily easier, but at the improv and I was looking at the schedule for next week, right before I came over here. And it's a, it's a good example for comics to see. Like if you look at the schedule Monday night, we have Mo Better Monday, which is our <clears throat> weekly show. I don't book it. It's been there for like 15 or 20 years. Um, Tuesday, we are our eight o'clock show in the main room is talking tunes. It's a podcast um, for animators and it's, it's awesome. And we're really lucky to have that show, but it's not a stand up show. Um, I forget we have it Tuesday at 10. Oh, Tuesday at 10 is a, a live game show in the main room. And it's awesome. It's called Camera Roll Live. But again, it's another situation where I didn't book the spots. It's a pr- production. Wednesday, like a buyout. And then the 10 o'clock show is Comedy Juice, which is one of our biggest shows. But Comedy Juice, again, has been there for 15 or at least 10 years. And it's an outside produced show. So on occasion, I, I can get a spot or two on there. Um, but usually that's when it's like, oh, hey, guys, David Tell's in town we got to squeeze him on or someone of that caliber. And then you just go through the week and then Thursday and, and 
Friday and Saturday is usually headliners. You know, when it's a big name headliner, chances are they're bringing their own support. Last week when we had Jay Moore, Jay Moore has no opener. So you start to go through the schedule and you start to see, oh, like next week, I probably have uh, maybe six total spots I get to book. And that, uh, you know, it's kind of arbitrary at that point when you're looking at a list of 600 names. <laughs> Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Well, and then that's before you even factor in the whole layer of, all right, these are the agents and managers and this is what my boss and this is what this person's in town. And, you know, obviously when huge, huge names are in from out of town or just when a big name hits me up, uh, they get priority too. Um, because at the end of the day, we have to sell tickets. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but that's, that, that's, and well, now we have the lab as well. Yeah, so, I want to get into that because yeah. that's like, uh, for those of you who've been to the Hollywood Improv the last, uh, I would say, two years, there's been no lab. Uh, no. And so that it's pretty much been main room only, and uh, that's it. But now it's, uh, that's kind of what I see the store's belly room as. Like mm -hmm. now you can maybe give a spot or two to someone you just can't get into the main stage. And uh, so how do you go about booking the lab? Well, it just reopened about three months ago and it's, you know, very quickly evolving. And I have like 250 applications like of people that want to put on shows in there. But my intention is no longer just to have, and this goes for the main room as well. Um, to do, not to have outside promoters or producers like we have in the past, unless it's a super innovative idea or it's a, a producer that, you know, has access to, or can really bring a, a crazy high level of talent. I want to book the spots and the club wants to book the spots and it, we want it to be a, a place where we're, we're, it's our shows and it's um, homegrown and, you know, produced in house so that we have more control of those spots. And uh, so that's all to say right now, we have like a, already have a great stable of shows. I also love music a lot. So, um, and that room, this new lab, it's like this perfect little cabaret, my dream little like kind of jazz club, a little spot. And that's what I love. And so any night I can, I've got like little soul and jazz bands and trying to bridge that gap with the music world as well. Yeah, I mean, I saw the other night you guys now have a kind of a late night, uh, not, oh, I don't want to say open mic because it's, uh, you know, the wrong term, but I think Ken Gar or, or so, oh, someone. Oh, so that's, um, yeah, every Sunday night now we have a, sh a show called uh, Lab Work and it's at 10 o'clock and like I was saying at the, at the top of the show, like it's our first step towards uh, a development system at the Improv and for comics listening, you know, these things take years to really, really develop, but it's the first place where, you know, I'll book five or six spots. Um, and that's everyone from, you know, improv regulars and comics that I just can't get up as much as I want to, uh, it's a place now where when I get hit up by agents and managers and they want me to get this young person up, I can say, well, I got to see them first. Uh, so they got to come to this Sunday show before I can even consider them for the main room. And then we pull bucket spots. So it's, you know, half mic. We have about probably, I'd say 70% comics in the room. But, and Ken Gar is great. He's a great host. And Avery Pearson, who plays piano and hosts with him. But trying to instill in them that this is a, this is a mic and this is our opportunity to build a community. And I'm like, I'm big on like, I want it to be a positive vibe and very supportive. So 
we really cultivated and having just done the show for a couple months now, like a, this, it's a really supportive, fun vibe. Comics stay in the room for the most part. They, you know, you, well, you know how mics can be. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. I'm headlining one tonight. So nice. no, I'm just, not really. But it, by and large, people stay in the room. And the cool things have already happened. Like uh, last week, Dana Gould, you know, pops in to do his five minutes because he was doing a uh, late night this week. And so it's also a, a room, you know, where hopefully comics can get an education. And that's what I'm telling the comics that I book. I'm like, we're going to have like 70% of the people. When I say 70%, I probably mean 90%. Yeah, no. <laughs> comics like. LA comedy math. Just like do uh, do your best set. I mean, this is an opportunity to, um, you know, to show these, you know, young comics or just, you know, comics that are here for the mic. Like this is a type five. This is what a good eight to 10 minute set looks like. So anyway, all these things are evolving and it's going to take time. But the goal is, you know, by this summer to really have more of a stable of our own shows at the improv and have more spots to book. Well, because before that system was in place, bring, I mean, bringer shows were, uh, at all clubs and you know, they would ruin, I think the reputation of, of not just Absolutely. any club. Cause it's, you know, it's not a bringer show for those of you who are like, what's that? You know, I get a lot of music fans on this show who aren't familiar with the terminology. But isn't that, I think there's bringer shows in the music world too. Oh yeah. It's basically any club on the sunset strip now are pay to play bands. Right. Pay to play. Uh, which, uh, you know, it's why the music scene's dying on the strip. I mean, it's really bad. But, you know, I would say that bringer shows are almost did that to comedy, you know, because they're not booked necessarily on if you're funny or not. So oh. if you can bring eight people, you're headlining. I did one bringer show in my life when I was doing stand up at the store in the belly room. And I brought like 14 people. And I also brought the pain. By the way, can we mention that it's 11 a.m. on Saturday morning, which is, I think, for most people, pretty late. I, well, it's, I mean, it's rare that I'm up this early. I don't know. I, I, I told you 11 because I, I was like, you know what? This is the weekend where I'm going to start getting up early again. I'm going to walk over, over here, have a nice, refreshing morning. And, of course, I roll out of bed at 1045 and I was like, eh. That's tough. I mean, I was like, wow. I, I mean, you know, I. We tried a few times to get this going. I'm like, well, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to do it at 11. So I'll just <laughs> drink an energy drink and, uh, you know, take the dog for a walk and, and be professional for once in my life. But now a lot of people don't know your background. Like, you know, who did you take over for at the <clears throat> Hollywood Improv? Um, Was it Emily? More or less. There was like a three-month period where there was another... A uh, girl named Kennedy, but um, it was Emily before me, and then before her, Eric Abrams, I believe. Who I lo I loved Eric Abrams and Emily. Emily's the best. Oh, they're they're both great. They're both uh, good friends of mine now. But they were very much in your vein of like trying to be nice to people. To hey man, you know it is what it is. Uh, yeah, well, and Emily. I mean, when I first got there, um. I was booking just the lab and Emily was booking the main room. So we worked side by side for probably a year or so. But I remember on open mic nights and, um, and certain, and a lot of nights she would just kind of like, you know, beeline out of there. And I was, you know, I was excited. I was at the improv. I'm booking this new room and like, how would you leave 
the comedy club you book and go home and hang out with your boyfriend and not want to be at this place where these luminaries in comedy and and she would be like i i I get accosted and i just i can't get away from the comics and as soon as i started booking the main room i I started to understand what's tough i mean i can't imagine i see what adam goes through and just like i know it's the same for you and i don't know who books the laugh factory i'm assuming jamie does (laughs) um but adam can't walk out on the patio without you know, hey, uh, how, how do I get in here? Mm-hmm. You know, then he goes in the hallway, not, not hide, but like, and someone gets him in the hallway. Hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I saw one of the biggest name comics in the business say, hey, will you look at my friend? I think he should be passed. And this particular person is not really someone you'd want to say no to just because like you were saying, you mm-hmm. want to keep him happy. Uh, but, it, you know, Adam basically said, uh, I don't have enough spots as is right, right. to bring in new people. So, uh, you know, I just can't imagine the, the wall that you have to build up, you know, to walk around the improv and just knowing that everyone in there wants something from you. Yeah. I mean, how do you do it? Like, <laughs> with, you know, without just becoming a total Howard Hughes recluse? Um, I don't I think, I mean... I definitely like uh, need my alone time and as a human being, but I also get energy from from other people. And in the, you know, in the first couple of years I was booking the main room, I really picked my spots where you might see me there, you know, you know, three or four nights in a row, and then I would take a couple nights off, and then there were months where I would be there almost every night, and then months where I would you know take most nights off during the week. Um, but really, the, since the lab opened in October or November, I've been there almost every night. But to answer your question, I I don't know how I do it. I do sometimes, you know, go upstairs, go to my office and just kind of chill out up there. It's awesome. We have a green room now. We never had a green room. We have like this big podcast studio slash, it looks like a 1930s study. I love it. It's really cool. So, but I can go up there now and it's actually a great place now for comics to go hideaway as well um especially you know someone like a bill burr who just wants to at some point it's like just you know not have to deal with people i think that was one thing like some of the the, you know the big big names one of their complaints about the improv was there was nowhere to hide i think most comics what they used to love about the improv and like they do like is they can be seen you go to that bar and and you want to hang out and see people but you know especially a lot of the big, big, big names and Louis CKs and Sarah Silverman's, they want a place where if they want, they can go up and write and work on their set and just not be bothered. Yeah. It's like last night at the store, Joe Rogan was there mm-hmm. and uh, there was a big, uh, basically the UFC's competition uh, company called Bellator had a big fight card that was completely insane. Uh, and so you had all these MMA fans like bugging oh, right. him about, you know, this particular card. And, uh, you know, that's the good thing about the store is there's a lot of nooks and crannies where you can That's hide. the best part about the store is, you know. is the nooks. Yeah. I'm a big nook guy. Oh, there's a lot of nooks, <laughs> which is why the uh, womanizing at the store uh, used to be at an all-time level. Oh, know? I'm sure. That's the thing about the improv is there really aren't a lot of nooks. There's more nooks, but um, we do not promote womanizing. 
Oh no, and I mean that in the. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't take that as you suggesting that you should, <laughs> but you know the the store is built more like an ant farm. You know, there's all kinds of uh, you, you know pathways to uh, darkness. Whereas the improv, it's pretty much the main room, which is uh, nowhere really to hide there, and uh, mm -hmm. you know the lab is pretty uh, open, mm -hmm. and then that's about it. Well, then now the podcast room, yeah. Um, and there's a little upstairs area above the restaurant. Right. Where I think a Sarah Tiana recently had a yeah. uh, lovely birthday party. But what <laughs> did you do before you came to the improv? I, I did a lot of things. Uh, but the most, so I moved back to LA in 2005, the end of 2005, I was living in the Bay area and that's where I started just doing comedy in 2001, 2002 started putting on shows. I was a receptionist at a design firm for like four years. So that's how I made my money and just put on these comedy shows, started making comedy videos. And then I moved back to LA in 2005 and uh, just lucked into through Craigslist, found a job. Uh, a, a brand new comedy theater was opened up in San Monica. Now it's known as the West Side Comedy Theater. Right. And at that time it was known as the West Side Eclectic. And they were looking for a, 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 someone to manage this new venue. I had no experience, but interviewed with this guy, Mark Campbell, and he liked me enough to give me a shot. And I actually tell this to a lot of people all the time. Like it came down to like, he called me up after two or three interviews and said, look, you're my favorite person of all the candidates, but you have no experience running a club. And I told him, I was like, I, I will work so hard. I'm so passionate. I'm so excited. Um, and then wrote him this email at night saying, look, I will work for free. Um, for I bet he loved that. Month. Yes. <laughs> and I meant it, you know, I, I had moved back to LA. I was staying with my parents for the time being. And they were like, if, if you really want this and you want to stay here for a few months. And of course he was like, I'm not going to make you work for free, but it was that level of passion. And, and you could see that enthusiasm and, I'm so glad that he said yes, because um, I very quickly, you know, was thrown in the fire, figured out how to build, um, you know, this a system of shows and like a schedule of shows. And we built a full uh, improv school there and watched it grow organically from this, like just hollowed out um, warehouse kind of place yeah. in the back alley in Santa Monica of a restaurant and slowly grow. And then he put a stage in. Then you paint the walls. Now there's an office. And then just, slowly, you know, as a community grows of comedians and improvisers and, and sketch people, like how that all feeds into this evolution of a space. And it's a really cool thing to watch from the beginning. Oh, no. I remember uh, the first show I did with Rob Schneider was there. At the West Side? Yeah. He uh, was just getting back into comedy. And uh, Jeff Richards, the great Jeff Richards was sick. Yeah, yeah. And he said, hey, do you want to open up for Rob at West Side Eclectic? And uh, it was surreal to see some of that name level just playing in a yeah. small basement. Was that before or after there was a bar? There was no bar there that night. Okay, uh, then that was, must have been in the, the Flam era. Yeah, no, I remember the green room was, um, I don't want to say dungy, but it was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, kind of like a CBGB's type vibe sure. to it. <laughs> it's like a dirty couch, and just to go back there and see Adam Sandler and, and uh, you know all of Rob's you know 
friends who had come to see us basically re-debut was like, wow, this is like seeing the Ramones and like some dirty club. It was kind of neat to see and it was packed. And and now it's basically, would you say it's the, the West LA comedy club? Yeah, absolutely. And it surprises me that there isn't another club out there. I mean, the improv, there used to be an improv in Santa Monica. Then there was a fire, right? I believe so. I, and I actually, it was a, they, they shot Evening at the Improv, I think, at that club. And I feel like there's a fire at every comedy venue at some point. Um, Good insurance. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying that was the case in the Improv. No, no, no. Uh, I think it was just a kitchen fire that uh, happened. And I know the comedy store ha- used to have a uh, club in Westwood, mm-hmm. which I would think a comedy club in Westwood would do amazing business with just a guaranteed college crowd. They were eight months of the year and yeah. tons of hot co-eds yeah i mean don't you think <laughs> it's uh like i've often heard uh with the like youtube videos chicks equals clicks um if you have a like you know i know some of jay davis shows around town they have just beautiful girls there and they're packed i mm-hmm. mean is it do you think that holds true to a, a comedy show at a comedy club like if you have like you know, a lot of girls there, guys want to show up and I oh, probably, I don't, I don't think it figures into, um, any internal marketing or social media campaigns. Um, but it's weird. Like, you know, when it would certain, we are right in the middle of Hollywood and you know, when we do have outside promoters sometimes that come in and do shows, like there's certainly a very Hollywoody, uh, whatever that element of right. like Hollywood. I don't know. Uh, there's different scenes in LA for those of you. Like there's certainly shows like last Thursday night was a show that um, called Loud Village at the Improv. And that's a show that I, I kind of handpicked. Um, this guy, Jeremy Burke, was promoting a couple other shows on the east side. One was at a, a taco stand called Ba um, or Best Fish Taco of Ensenada. And he built this show at a fucking taco stand where hundreds of people would circle around and some of the biggest names are doing it. So I went to him and said, what does that show look like at the improv? Um, and so for the last two years, like uh, every other Thursday or at least once a month, we have that show called loud village and he's actively promoting it. We're working together to book it and make sure the lineup is great, but it's definitely like of an East side hipstery crowd right. uh, versus like you mentioned, Jay Davis. Uh, he does a show once a month on Tuesday nights at 10. And that's definitely a more Hollywood sunset strip, strip right. kind of vibe. And I know Skylar Stone uh, oh, right, right. does a, a similar... Uh, you're right. I mean, I guess I would describe it as Hollywoody. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> the good-looking people come out at night. And, uh, you know, I guess there are, are different crowds that work. You know, I know like Roast Battle at the Comedy Stores... You know, I don't know if that show would work at the improv. Like it, it's so made for the belly room and the. I think I think that show is such a product of the, like the belly room too, and like, and by the way, you're you're fucking amazing on that show. Uh, well, well, it's just a character. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Thank you. But you can't. I mean, and that's, you know, I talk a lot about like creating like an undeniable experience, um, and that roast battle show is like if there's a palpable energy. And, you know, when I first started hearing about it, I started going up there on Tuesday nights and just 
it's a sea of people, but there's an excitement in the room. It's so fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, this Tuesday was, uh, you know, usually when Jeff Ross isn't there, it, the show's still good, but there's a little, like, energy that, that's not there because mm -hmm. he, he is so good at, yeah, you know, lighting the match. Uh, but, you know, the whole SNL cast was there. and there was I just, heard. It was great. I mean, in a, just a great buzz, and uh, it was like a pro wrestling, like, vibe and i got to kiss leslie jones oh shit which was uh, <laughs> uh it was uh something I'm, I'm telling you not too many times am i speechless but uh you know that's was that part of the show or just like, um well you know with roast battle a lot, a lot of the best moments are improv sure and uh you know sometimes the battles uh you know you might hit a battle that's not quite as you know up to snuff and you you know the negro wave and and my table has to, uh, you know, carry it through those moments. And, uh, but you know, you guys have a, a show late night on Saturdays. It's, uh, the, um, midnight snack, mm -hmm. which is, I think giving, uh, the improv kind of a nice late night, uh, not that you're going for the same vibe that roast battle show is giving the store, but it, it's uh, a fun show to, for people who like going out later mm -hmm. in the evening, you know, Josh Adam Myers, Jeremiah Watkins, and Avery Pearson uh, do a great job. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, we, I've been trying to cultivate late night for a while. And, and again, like I said before, music is, is so vital to that to me. Um, and especially with the lab now, actually, last night was our first night. We had, uh, we actually had four shows in the lab, um, including a show at six o'clock. We had a show at uh, 7 30. Uh, 9 30 and 11 and it was packed all night and it was it's there's something great about that and it was so cool because we're as we're experimenting now again to see a, a, a crowd of people line up and buy tickets and go into the lab at 11 30 and so that's another kind of major thing we're trying to do in the next few weeks is to me there's no reason we should you know end our shows at midnight our main room shows let's keep people there till one and and you know you know, from the store, it's like, yeah, people are going to trickle out. We don't want to hold anyone hostage. You know, if you come for a 10 o'clock show, there's got to be a point where people know it's all right, you can leave. Uh, <laughs> but for me as a booker and wanting more spots and it doesn't, you know, if there's five people left at one thirty, but there's comics that want to go up and, and try out stuff, why the hell not? I'll go up. Yeah. In front of five. I don't, you know, I need one. <laughs> but that's so that's another thing with both rooms that in the next few weeks you're going to see more of um slowly going to roll out night by night all right now tuesdays we're going to go till one one thirty and you know, like I said, as a booker more spots uh and i think also you know the the, the store's been killing it with you know the drop-ins the big big the Chappelle's, the chris rocks um and stuff like that and obviously the improv gets that too but not with the same levels of consistency as the store. But I think a big reason, and that's from talking to people and talking to some of these big names is like, they know when they come to the improv, they're going to have to bump people. We have like six spots on a 10 o'clock show and they know that someone, some, you know, in a lot of cases, a contemporary of theirs or a friend of theirs is going to get bumped and maybe not bumped off the show completely, but you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes later than their you know set time and they don't want to do that out of respect for for uh their uh fellow comics but 
when we can go later into the night, um, I think that takes some of that pressure off um, of having to bump people. Well, hey, I got bumped last night by Chris Rock, so. That's a cool thing to say. I mean, listen, if you're going to get bumped by somebody, uh, Pookie from New Jack City is, uh, you know, but I get it. I wasn't upset at all. I mean, sure, I want to go on. I mean, I'm probably the biggest stage whore you'll ever sit in a room <laughs> uh, with. I don't know about that. Well, There's I mean. a lot I, of them. I mean, I just did a gig the other night at Crazy Girls on La Brea, so. I didn't know they were doing the comedy now. I don't know if they did do comedy that night. It was uh, <laughs> not, uh, you know, 16 years into comedy. I'm not sure if I should be taking those gigs, but uh, how do you, you know, getting on that subject, like bumping and, you know, I I won't mention names, but, you know, I, I was at the improv one night where, uh, you know, two uh, fairly big comics wanted to go on at the same time. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. And, uh, I mean, like, that's when I knew Tommy's job was hard. Yeah. Was, you know, I remember one night talking to him at the booth, just trying to figure him out. And uh, <laughs> A-level comic one comes in, basically said, I want to go on now. Uh, A-level comic two, <laughs> literally 30 seconds later, is like, I got another spot at the improv. I got to go on now. And then a third comic... Uh, say a very high level b level comic mm-hmm. was like well i'm next and i i don't want to be bumped and it, it for once i felt sorry for him because he was like uh, you know who do i take care of i mean how do you like it's one thing to bump me uh, hey sorry I'll, this guy just came in you know i don't think you're gonna get too much resistance from me mm-hmm. okay jamie cool I mean, what is the thought process when you have to deal with, say, three A-level comics? Um, That's a good question. It doesn't happen all the time. and But when it does, you know, I just have to turn on turn on that flammy charm. And you do. I, I can't <laughs> imagine getting mad at you ever because it's like... You always smile. You're always soft-spoken. Uh, well, it, it, de- it depends on who's there, too. Like, um, you know, we have great managers. We have uh, this guy, Jay, who's been there for, I think, over 20 years as a server and a bartender and now as a manager of the club. And Paige, who you know well. Paige is the best. And and she's also really good at, um, you know, massaging egos, really. Uh, but you kind of just have to take all the information, like, if it's you know, if it's a Louis CK or a Chappelle, it's, you know, everyone kind of understands. Right. Although that's not always true. Even then, you know, like every comic and has an ego and they're still, you know, rightfully so sometimes like, yeah, I guess that's, that's they're huge, but also I'm pretty huge. And they, 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 comics have, you know, different perceptions of how big they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And it, but like for this question, it's crazy when it's it's people that are all big, and you know I, I I'm pretty quick to just to kind of look into someone's eyes and and be like they're basically saying put me up now or I'm leaving or I'll kind of roll with it, and even some comics, some huge name comics, will come in too and like be like I just throw me up wherever you know don't bump anyone or wherever wherever you can squeeze me in and they're trying to be cool but they're also 
those words just mean, uh, yes, I want to go up next. It's a test to see yeah. uh, maybe to their ego, okay, if he puts me on right away, I'm still the man. Right. But, yeah. And by the way, you said like, you, and I'm sure, you know, if you get bumped by Chris Rock, you're like, oh, cool. But there was a night about a month ago where, and it was an eight o'clock show, and we got drop-ins from Daniel Tosh, Sarah Silverman, and Arsenio Hall. And I mean, it was no brainer on who to bump on that show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like looking at the lineup, um, you know, I, I don't remember exactly who else was on it, but there was two younger comics. Um, and, you know, the first one, I didn't even have to, I loved it. And th this kid came up to me, he's like, dude, I just saw them because they were all there at the same time. I'm done. I, I got a spot here tomorrow. Don't even worry about me, which honestly is the coolest thing ever. It's just like, it's like, thank you. I didn't have to even, you know, breach a conversation about it. Um, but then there was another one that just was like, just kind of did a, like gave me a little attitude. And I was like, this was not like a Louis versus Chappelle moment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> not that those exist, but uh, this was like a, a you know, I, look, we'll find another spot pretty soon. But, and I think he did ultimately go up and do five minutes towards the end. But the fact that there was any sort of, you know, blowback or, Really? You're just going to give me any sort of attitude? I, what do we have to do? This is Tosh yeah. and Silverman and Arsenio Hall. Yeah, deal with it. You don't like getting bumped <laughs> by them. I tell you what, get better credits than they do. Yeah. And then you can bump them. Exactly. I mean, that's how I look at it. Like, you know, maybe when I host the Oscars, I can bump Chris Rock. Right. Until then... Well, for the record, too, and I, 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 sometimes I'm I'm being more cognizant of maybe sounding dicky or I, I, I empathize completely and you never want to take anything away from any comic, especially one that was booked that has been working hard and who that's your art and your craft and what you're putting all your energy into. So like any opportunity to get on stage that's taken away from you, that's not easy. So it's not to take anything away from that. Um, but you just always want to work with people that understand the dynamics of the club and are easy to work with and and always you know amenable to to what's happening well i mean i think in in this business it's you know so much of it is you know star power and, mm -hmm. and credits and and uh, just certain variables that are just not in your control but they're pretty out there in your face and you know i get it you know even last night adam just looked at me like so such uh an apologetic look in his eyes like sorry man i gotta like it's like dude it's chris rock maybe the greatest mm -hmm. comic of our generation yeah. one of them certainly i'll just go out and talk to girls on the patio <laughs> i get it so i mean it's I think being a talent coordinator at a Hollywood comedy club is probably the toughest job in the business. I mean, just how many knows you, like you said, hundreds a week. It's mm -hmm. not like it's, you know, 20 knows a month. It's, it's every, every day. You probably got emails today from oh, yeah. people. Uh, hey, can I get on tonight? I, you know, and now that the lab's opening up, they probably see that or is open, uh, has an easy target of who put me on there. Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of emails now, like now with the lab open, put me up in there. And 
It's the same. I mean, it's not exactly the same, the same, but similar politics and, but that's, and I keep saying it, but it's, we're really excited about it. We're trying to create a programming schedule that allows us more uh, spots to book and more, because what I, I, I've always envied about the store is it is, it's a development center and what well, is now yeah well not sure what was developing other than resentment uh, right, right. other than the tommy era but there, at least there's there's an opportunity like if you're a young comic you're like all right well well you actually said that he used to say this but you know but there's some sort of path yeah i well, i think now there is it, it really is like a college system mm-hmm. where you you know you i think at the store it's you do potluck then if you're lucky enough to get on friends and family and then uh, you get development spots showcase pass right i mean it's a pretty clear five-step process and you know i know like you said there's no there's no pass at the improv but like i'm it's sure it's kind of like we have a two-step process right. uh, one get a high-powered agent or manager and to get famous. <laughs> yeah, so deal with it. Don't be uh, emailing uh, uh, Jamie at the improv saying, uh, hey, I was on an episode of Renegade 24 <laughs> years ago. Y- you know. Well, it depends which episode of Renegade. Well, I was an extra in it, so, you know, maybe I could, uh, you know, get on, you know, the Mo Better Mondays show. That's a great show. It is. I mean, and it's not just black comics, right? I mean, they do have, uh, I mean, white comics on there but yeah. you know uh it's predominantly black but um it's definitely there's diversity and uh yeah it's not just uh there's hispanic comics on mm-hmm. it asian comics absolutely it, yeah it's primarily a uh you know african-american uh themed show mm-hmm. um and you know but that's the crazy thing is when you started naming the nights at the improv you know it's like you named the first three nights you don't book one spot essentially no and that's i mean and there's there are there are weeks that are more there are more spots it just it's kind of all over the map and And what goes on there sunday nights we it's a hodgepodge like you know we have a couple monthly shows that are they're awesome that we pack them in and and book spots and then there's, you know, some Sundays that there's live podcast or other theme shows. It's, it's, uh, it's just, like I said, like saying, it's like a hodgepodge of all this stuff. So you just never know on any given week. And I've come to realize that the, the improv isn't built necessarily like the store. It's, it is going to be more diverse. It is this industry club that, um, will never be exactly that just spot spot spots every night even i mean in the next few months we're going to see more of that but at the end of the day it's still a place and i kind of appreciate where you can see live podcasts where you can see um variety shows and and sometimes more thematic type of experiences and i'm okay with that um because like i like music is is so great and, and i'm actually developing right now so i don't know do you know the history of the improv i mean uh to a degree do you know what it was before it was the improv? I do not. Fun fact. So before the improv was the improv, it was a place called the Ash Grove, which was a folk soul music venue. Um, before that, I think it was a furniture store. Uh, but the Ash Grove, uh, I didn't really know it existed until a couple of years ago. Paige mentioned it. She was like reading up on the history and it's like, this is 
place where like Bob Dylan would perform and Muddy Waters and all these amazing musicians. And about a year ago, a documentary crew came into the improv to do, um, to get footage because they were, they were documenting the old Ash Grove. And so through that, we've become friends with these documentary filmmakers and the old people that ran the club and have started doing shows with them. So every couple of months on Sunday afternoons at like four or five o'clock, we'll have these Ash Grove revival shows and it'll be packed. And part of the reason it's like at four or five is because it's like, these are people like these are late or, you know, 70 to 80 year old people um, that don't want to come out, you know, after six o'clock, but it's packed. The music is amazing. We have the Chambers brothers who, if you've ever hung out at the Cantor's Kibitz room, you've seen Willie Chambers hanging out and playing guitar and, but they were the, like just this you know, awesome group from the sixties. Uh, we had a uh, Jackson Brown really? at the improv and it's, it's kind of flown under the radar to be honest with the, but it's packed on these Sundays, but going back to the, the roots of what that building is, I'm starting now to work with these young guys that are doing this Ashgrove documentary. And we're going to start bringing shows like that into the lab um, for now monthly, but then weekly we're, I want it to be a hotbed, not just for comedy, but that crossover with, with music and especially folk music and soul music that, you know, speaks to what's happening in the world. Um, where we can book comics that, that, uh, really, you know, are reflecting like the, the what's happening in the world right now. So more, a little bit more political bent. So things like that, we're starting to experiment with all that kind of stuff. And by the way, the Ash Grove was burned down twice going back to comedy clubs burning down really? and the the Hollywood improv was burnt down. Really? And in the late seventies. Cause it is a very, uh, Burnable. historic building. <laughs> uh, I'd like to propose an eighties metal night just to, uh, you know, we've had some, a couple of shows like that. Dean Del Rey did a show once that had kind of that theme. Yeah. Not I mean, surprisingly. It's a forgotten era of musical history. Well, I, I mean the sunset strip though. It was a lost era. I was in the middle of it. Just uh, you, was in, you were in the middle of it? Well, you know, I lived in West L.A., so, like, you know, in the 80s, you know, the Sunset Strip was like an ant farm of horny people and guys who looked like girls, and that was at the height of the, you know, Rat and Poison, mm -hmm. Motley Crue, and, and, and but also at the, it was a great time because you had the, the stand-up boom, like Dice Clay and mm -hmm. Kennison and... So it was just, you could go to, you know, well, now it's called One Oak, but back then it was called Gazari's to see, you know, Quiet Riot and then go to the comedy store or the improv, see Dice. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know if we'll ever see an era like that again, just with the internet. Do you think the internet has hurt, uh, like, comedy clubs? Like, No, I think it's it's part of if not the major contributing factor to what's um, creating this boom that we're having now. But like Netflix is now seems to be the hot new place for uh, stand-up specials. I just think it's exposing it's more and more people to comedy and all types of comedy. And whether it's watching all these specials on Netflix or watching comedy bang bang or, right. you know, dozens of other shows now, like you're exposed to, 
and podcasting. Uh, yes. And yes, like what we're doing right now. Podcasting. Well, people want to like, I've always wanted to interview behind the scenes people too, because it's, it's fascinating to people who just go to a comedy club. They don't know what it takes into the show. They're sitting down watching. Like, it's not just you call up seven comics. Okay. Show up at eight 30. It's, it's, a no, lot it's of everything. But, um, but I think so many people are, are consuming podcasts and, and watching all this awesome content that they're getting the conversations like these and starting to see the backbones of comedy clubs and uh, just the, the whole comedy world in general, where I think that's just part of the, uh, the overall how you consume comedy now. And does that make sense? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, before it was, you know, I guess before the internet, you know, you go to a comedy club, watch it and leave. It wasn't, you know, I think podcasts are great because they give fans a chance to get to know, you know Joe Rogan or Bill Burr or anyone, even if you're not known, me, and go, well, I want to see that guy or girl. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the improv or comedy store or wherever. Totally. I think just the fact, I mean, I think Marin is the obvious example, but him talking about the store on his podcast the last few years has absolutely con contributed to the um, what's happening there right now and getting people back. And you want people talking about you. Like there was a moment earlier this week um, that was really cool for me. It was uh, Chris Hardwick on his Nerdist podcast uh, mentioned being at the improv the week before and how he did three shows in one night and how excited he was. And to hear people like you can't buy that kind of PR, like legitimately talking about their experience at a place and having fun and, and seeing the turning of the tides. Um, so that was, those things are really cool to see, but th that goes a long way when there's millions of downloads and people are you know, figuring out where to go. Um, to, so to hear him and those guys talk about the lab and the improv was um, almost even a milestone at this point. Like, uh, cause you want people talking, you want there to be buzz about what's happening. Oh, sure. I mean, like the improvs, uh, like Wednesday nights there, it's great. Like it's, it's I mean, people from the store go there. It's like, let's go there tonight. Well, I've always loved it. When someone, I mean, that's the Comedy Juice Night, and that's been every Wednesday, I think, for like at least the last 10 years, if not more. But for me, that it should be like that every night. Oh, no, I'm not yeah. saying it's not. I mean, like Saturday nights, you know, I love going there late night because there's a, a nice, you know, vibe there of the, the late show, and then you have people waiting for midnight snack and... You know, it's a nice now that the the bars back to full tilt business. Mm -hmm. It's it's a good place to hang. Well, that's to me the sign of a good, or not the sign of a good night because we have great nights where there's, like I mentioned before, huge podcasts and like every Friday night we have, and then going back to like our schedule every Friday night for the most part is Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman doing their podcast at ten, which is so great for the club. It's an awesome show to have. They're great guys. Um, it's, you know, it's packed, sold out. But as a booker of a comedy club, it, it's, uh, you know, th th that's still another huge night where there's not spots. Right. Which made it awesome, all the more awesome last night where the lab was going till 1 a.m. and comics are getting up. But uh, to me, the perfect night at the improv is when the show is packed and there's comics hanging out. Um, 
and uh, comics want to hang out when there's spots to be had or their friends are going to be around or yeah. both and that's it so it's all you know in a perfect world people are coming to the improv every night to hang out just because it's the improv and because you want to hang out at the bar and it should be what it was built as which is like the cheers of comedy yeah like i went into the lab the other night i think you and uh a a lady, we're doing a musical, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it, and you had a great backing band, the, and it reminded me of the Regal Beagle in Three's Company. Just oh, like, that's the highest compliment. I mean it. It was like not that you, you know, you know, there's people hanging, there was employees eating, you know, who were either just on their break or, you know, off for the night. There was audience. It was like uh, I love vibes like that. And it was dark. Yeah. I like the darkness. Totally. And when they redid the improv a couple of years ago, it was the opposite. It was white walls. And um, so I'm so excited, especially for the lab, that it's it's back to being a, not just a live space, but it, it's darker. And you kind of, you know, you want to wear in the walls a little bit. You want it to, to feel lived in and not dirty, of course, but, but, you know, that's what the romantic version of what a jazz club or. Right. Where there, even uh, there's a great spot called the Baked Potato. In uh, have you ever been there? I've seen a lot of my fallen '80s metal comrades playing there for free. Oh, it's so it's, it's it's almost comical. I think they serve baked potatoes, but it's a jazz club. Well, there's um, the, the drummer from David Lee Roth is his name's Greg Bizonette, and he's he's more of a jazz musician, mm -hmm. but he kind of sold out not sold out but uh maybe in the 80s he was like well this is what's popular i'm gonna have a blonde spiky mm -hmm. look and wear you know body glove you know sweatsuits on stage and play for david lee roth but i go there to watch him and his brother play and it's like they're amazing jazz musicians i love it let's go yo you should i if you had greg bizonette the bizonette brothers uh you know at the improv you know i'm open to that and i like I, there's we've already had so many great music nights um music with comedy like it's usually having that jazz or soul band and you know having them do a few songs at the top of the show and then you know playing comics off and on but the, what you might have seen the other night was every wednesday now that's that's for me we have a show called van jam and it's me and my writing partner vanessa and performing partner but you know i used to perform all the time and the last few years, you know, few and far between, I'll, you know, produce a show every few months. But I was finally like, I just need to get up. Um, and granted, I've put a lot more pressure on myself as the booker of a club going on stage. Um, yeah, because now every comic can go in that room and go, all right, let's see what you got, brother. Yes. So <laughs> I, I think I mentioned that I'm the booker. Please don't judge me um, a lot. But uh I just needed that outlets, but, but so th th we built this night as, you know, there's music, there's comedy. We book great lineups, but then the after jam is just us improvising musicals and getting really silly. And we wanted to develop into this old school, just what the improv was based on. Going back to the improv history, the, the improv started. It was a coffee shop in 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 New York City, and. Uh, Broadway performers would congregate there after their shows every night and there's a piano. So the iconic piano, the, the brick walls, because it was just like a bare bones coffee shop. 
And so Broadway singers and performers would go up and just improvise songs on the piano. And at a certain point, comics would kind of be sprinkled in to do, you know, five, 10 minute sets. And so Bud Friedman, who created the improv, quickly realized that, oh, like the comics are where it's at and slowly eliminated the Broadway singing aspect. And that's what evolved into the improv. And so there's something really cool right now about going back to that, those roots. We're trying to create shows like that, where the improvisational nature of putting uh, comedians and musicians together and seeing what happens. And also going back to the Ashgrove thing too, like being able to bring back like the, that roots kind of music to the, to the, to the venue. Well, would you say most comics want to be musicians and most musicians wish they could be comics? I think there's a lot of that for sure. I think a lot of that for sure. I mean, I would love to be a musician. What would you play? I have no musical talent, to be completely honest with you. I feel like I've seen you playing drums. Uh, well, I'm, I'm like a 80s metal drummer. I, uh, I, it's more show than talent. I feel like I've seen you, yeah, like like late night. I know Bill Burr's a, a, a fairly accomplished drummer. I'm I'm not on his level, but um, my friend who drums for Slash tried to teach me the guitar, and uh, he almost quit the business. He was like, he uh, almost quit the business. Yeah, just because it was so frustrating to, oh. for him to try and teach me an instrument. Oh, oh, got it, got it, got it. So uh, he's got to touch the string. But, you know, it's a mental thing for me where I watch uh, my 80s metal icon shredding guitar gods and I'm like, I I just, I don't know how they make the noise. But it's just, it's beyond my comprehension. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, Jamie, be completely honest. That's not true. You are literally the smartest guy in the world. No, I'm not. Uh, to be honest with you, it, it, uh, I had to watch the ending of Porky's three times to figure out what was going on. So, I don't know. think I ever saw the Porky's. You, you're film. missing it. How old are you? 39. You know, Porky's, uh, you probably were a little too. It was basically uh, my generation's American Pie. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it was a, kind of a complicated ending. It took me a while to grasp, but... <laughs> Speaking of grasping, you have like the craziest microphone uh, brass knuckle situation. Well, these, uh, in the history of Inappropriate Earl, I have had one sponsor. And my sponsor is the singer for Rat, Stephen <laughs> Piercy, who has a company called Mike Knuckles. Uh, that's and what we got here. They are microphone uh, holders. If you're a singer or a, uh, or a comic, I have performed with these. Uh, just something cool. Yeah. So if a you're into pink. that, uh, go on Twitter uh, at mic knuckles, Mike Knuckles. Buy a pair. I was hoping that he was just sponsoring himself. He's like, just mention my name. He'd be well. I think I he, he's happy with the. Uh, you know, right now there's three different rats touring, so they can't get along. So they, you've got his version of rat, the drummer's version, and the bass player, and. I think it's fair to say in 2016, uh, I don't think people want one version of Rat Touring. So, but, you know, these guys can't get along. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's, uh, you know, how you have to keep certain comics away from each other. You know, you have to keep whole bands away from each other. Uh, Quick 
story. Don't don't thought. make it quick. All right. I'm five years old and maybe six, maybe four, somewhere in that range. And there's a restaurant called Lulu's. I don't believe it exists anymore. And Lulu's was in my brain now. I'm seeing it at Satikoy and Havenhurst. I think they used to have comedy there. At Lulu's? Lulu's Beehive? No, no. Lulu's Beehive is a different place that was used to be on Ventura Boulevard and like near Coldwater. Yes. Which uh, I always had in a, you know, as a kid, I grew up in the Valley. I remember driving past Lulu's and being like, I like that. A place called Lulu's Beehive. But I'm talking about Lulu's, a different Lulu's. Okay. Lulu's had like uh, an old timey restaurant vibe to it. It was like Vic, uh, Tiffany lamps were hanging and red booths, and it just it felt like a late twentieth century, nineteenth century kind of. A, I think there's even a buggy in the Lulu sign, and we're eating some food. Oh, they were known for having hot dogs, but you know that some places they'll cut the hot dog in half. Yeah. Open face it. I don't like that. Me neither. But I remember having that. And for whatever reason, I was like, Mom, Dad, I would like to go to the car and just kind of rest in there right now. I don't want to be in the restaurant. And I don't remember what was happening or I don't know if a parent would let their kid do that today, but they gave me the keys and I went and just hung out in the car. (laughs) This is getting weirder. No, no, I feel like this is uh, delving into some dark territory. And there's a group of men in the car. Just kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> this podcast ratings just went up. <laughs> They're about to go down uh, considerably. Anyway, I turned on the, the, the car just enough so I could listen to the radio. And Rat's song. Round and Round. Round and Round comes on. And there's a very distinct sound of a radio, a car radio on low, you know, maybe even in the eighties, there was a different tone to it (laughs) and hearing that song and being like, I like this song. I like this song a lot. And then 20 years of my life goes by flash forward 20 years. I've, I'd never forgot that moment round and round, but I didn't know who sung it. Round and round. And then one day I was with my roommate at the time, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I was like, do you know a song that goes round and round? What goes around, comes around. He's like, oh yeah, rat. And then I downloaded it. And thus concludes the worst story ever told. Not on this podcast. That's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm obsessed with that band, but... Uh... You know, because they were so big. And and they had, you know, speaking of the improv, uh, uh, a favorite of the improv, uh, Milton Berle, oh. and whose name I believe is uh, like, you guys have like a Hollywood Walk of Fame type of plaque. Oh, yeah. It's like him and Mr. Peanut. Right. And uh, Milton Berle was in their first two videos. Oh, that's hilarious. And uh, it was just great timing. The MTV had just kind of started. And I think they had targeted uh, Milton Berle as their demographic. Well, no, they were managed by his nephew at the time. And I think uh, 
the nephew must have sales pitched his uh, uncle said hey i got this band uh, they need to do a video they need someone to be in drag and uh he so he was in drag in the round and round video and there's a great uh behind the scenes clip i think they did a behind the music on rat and uh of uh, Milton Berle, they're putting the makeup on, and this young kid is telling, okay, Mr. Berle, we need you to stand over there when Steven the singer comes by. He's like, I'm Milton Berle, goddammit, you don't tell me where to stand. <laughs> and uh, so Uncle Milty was uh, instrumental, you might say, in getting round and round to be played on that radio in that car that day. I'm going to say it is, and and now I walk into a club every day and walk over this star with his name on it. So uh, the improv and rat are maybe forever linked. Mm -hmm. uh, and around and around in an endless circle. You no. Know, the last question. This is for newer comics. And don't be uh, Facebooking me or emailing me for Jamie's info, you ass kissers. <laughs> Since you're the guy at the Hollywood improv, Adam's the guy at the comedy store. Like I said before, I'm not sure who the guy is at the Laugh Factory. It could be a girl for all I know. What is the best way for a new comic who's trying to break into the improv to go about it in a, a right path? And, and I think what people don't realize is there's big name comics who can't get spots at the improv. I mean, it's the spots are tight and, and, you know, we've we've gone over the last hour how 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 few there are, but you know, I guess you got to approach it from the angle of if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm. So, what is the like with some words of wisdom for newer comics who don't want to impose on you, but I, I guess at some point you have to to a degree approach you. Yes, I will. <laughs> I would tell a new comic for now that it's it's going to take at least a year or two before we truly have uh, the path fully figured out. But as I mentioned before, we, we've taken a couple steps in that direction. One is Sunday nights, the show called Lab Work in the Lab, where, like I said, we're pulling names out of a bucket and encouraging, not only is it supportive, but we're also encouraging people, if you get your name pulled out of the bucket for a three-minute spot, bring it. Like, uh, and I, I'm so surprised. And then also I would say Tuesday nights is our, is our general open mic. And that's at what, like 6.30? Oh, maybe it's, it might be 5.30 or okay. 5.45. And you have to show up at like around 4.30 uh, to, uh, is it? No, I think you show up by 5.30. Okay. Definitely check the website if you're a young comic. Uh, but, uh, and go up at our open mic because we're, we're, we're act actively looking. And if you do great at the open mic. Uh, you might get invited to do, come do lab work. And if you do great in lab work, you might get invited to do midnight snack. Uh, or So, you know, over time, we're going to develop more of those shows and more places where we can get people up. Because we know we want to really start breeding um, our next stable of comics that we, that we really like. And it's already happening organically. Um, but that's that's how you get started the improv now. And like I mentioned before, it doesn't hurt to to get super famous, uh, which I hate to even say that, but there 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 is Hollywood. 
Yeah, but it's true. I mean, like, I and maybe it's because I've been doing it a little longer. I'm a little more realistic about the business. It's like, you know, if you have two comics who are of the, around the same ability, uh, but one's on, you know, Netflix, that person's going to get uh, the nod. In most cases, not every yeah. time, but. You know. And also, this is, I mean, and by the way, so I just started a new podcast that I told you about called Gatekeeper, where, I mean, it's going to conversations exactly like this one, but I'm, I'll be talking to, and the first episode was Adam from the store, uh, talking to other bookers, uh, people in the industry, agents, managers, casting people, you know, uh, indie clubs, uh, UCB, the people that work there, uh, independent shows, festivals, just all the different aspects in the world of comedy. And then beyond, I want to talk to people in the music world and design world and, uh, because, you know, there's a, there's an art uh, to having someone say yes and no to you. And I want to talk to people about that. But I end every episode with, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, work on your craft endlessly, uh, be undeniable. Like, get so good that like when you go up you're gonna fucking destroy it and be cool as fuck that's kind of the the three main things like when i look at that the list of five or six hundred names every week i'm certainly gonna cross off the names of the people that were ever a fucking asshole <laughs> which are which is insane to me that uh you know people would like have an attitude with a booker like you know i I saw one, uh, well, I won't give away the gender, one comic kind of go up to Adam one night and go, why aren't I getting spots? Because they were on some, you know, questionable reality show. I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just like, really? I mean, yes, you're on a show, but it's it's not, you know, maybe not the highest caliber show. So, get Well, there's, there's such a small subtle change it's it's there's nothing wrong with a comic and especially a comic that's you know for the store been passed or like has been up regularly at the improv coming up and being like hey just you know friendly reminder i'm I'm in town and <laughs> yeah, i'm here <laughs> i get those emails and i'm fine with that like um and i can't respond to all of them but hey i exist um i'm in town for the next month if anything pops up that'd be great versus and this is a word, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, between my podcast and being a guest on a few other podcasts, I feel like I talk about a lot of these same things over and over, but entitlement is the worst enemy of a comic trying to get booked. And having talked to now with, with more and more bookers, like, you know, you can smell that from a mile away. And when, when a comic comes with any sense of like, you owe this to me, or I've earned this, um, it's just the most off-putting thing ever. And I don't want to help people that come off as like uh, they they deserve this. It's, so when I like I said when I'm going through these names, you know, unless you're at the highest level, you gotta be nice. Just be fucking nice. Of course, I want to help out nice people and be funny as fuck. Of course, but be just be really nice and understanding. And you know, having this platform and thank you for having me. Like. Well, thank you for doing this. I mean, I, I hope comics are listening. Like, there are comics, and you mentioned this just a, minute, a couple minutes ago, but there are famous comics with huge credits that have had 
specials in the last five years on major networks that can't get up at the club. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's the, you know, the improv in the store, I guess the cellar in New York, I would say the three biggest clubs in the country. And, and you know, you, you've got A-level comics who, who can't get on. So if you're a newer comic or comic that's been doing it a while, but you don't have a lot of credits, it's like, suck it up. Be yeah. realistic. I mean, and, and also just remembering that some of these comics too, like... um. There's a weird ebb and flow to booking at the improv. And you'll see, if you talk to a handful of uh, our regular, quote unquote, regular comics, you're like, yeah, and in 2012, I got up 20 times. And in 2013, I got up seven times. In 2014, I got up 40 times. And then last year, I got up twice. Like, it just, that's kind of just like how it works out. And by the way, I don't think anyone's gotten up 40 times <laughs> ever. Or not ever, but um, in a year, that's like a lot. Well, I mean, I've got the uh, worst touring schedule since a Quiet Riot, twenty sixteen. But uh, now you mean forty times at the Improv? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, I mean, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean that's... that that doesn't really exist for the most part. Uh, but also, be a working comic, meaning there's a lot of comics that I'll see that are hanging out at the Improv every night because you know there's this kind of myth that if you hang out and and you know buddy up with the booker or just you're seen around that that equates to stage time um which isn't the case um and there's nothing wrong with that except but the point i'm trying to make is if you're at the improv every night and you're looking for spots um why aren't you performing on these other nights <laughs> like the comics that get up are working comics that if they're not up at the improv they're, they're up at the store or up at a bar show or up at ucb or one of you know dozens of other venues we want comics that are fresh and that are doing this every night not like once a week or once every couple of weeks um you know dusting themselves off you know you want people that are they're actively and i love it i mean they're still headlining comics that will drop into the open mic uh because that's stage time they want to work work out a new joke and they're happy to come do it a three-minute spot at the improv yeah i mean it's just i mean i think rob schneider told me very similar almost word for word advice that you said become so good they can't deny you and and just get on get to the point where you, you kill every time you're on and it's like People like you, Adam, um, you know, the uh, mysterious uh, figure at the Laugh Factory, go, <laughs> I, I got I to get this person on my show. Yes, I have 600 emails from 600, you know, funny comics, but I want this person on because they're nice, they're funny, they work hard, and, uh, you know, they gave me, you know, just the right amount of, you know, not ass kissing, but like, because you're you and Adam, way too smart to. You're not going to ass kiss your way into the improv, guys and girls. I will say, there wasn't a lot of training. Like they came to me after a year being at, at, the, at the lab and said, "You know, this spot is open to book the main room." And I I kind of took it 
it took took me a week to actually say yes because I knew it was going to be a nightmare in a lot of ways, but ultimately took it, and I'm so glad I did. But the first couple of years, I was just like, like here, have fun. No one really. One of the I don't want to say it's a mistake because I met a lot of great people, but I was like, oh, I'm the new booker. Let's have a, a meet and greet. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. And so. Must have been like sometime in the first two three weeks we had this big meet and greet and I, I we might have even blasted it out to our uh, comedy of bales list or something but oh. <laughs> hundreds of comics showed up shaking everybody's hands uh, and the unfortunate part was like not the unfortunate part it, w- it was great to meet a lot of people but now I had this like uh, you know relationship you know, for lack of a better word, with all these comics and like a face-to-face interaction. And, you know, so now when they started coming in, I was like, Jamie, some of these people are friends to my, to this day. Some of them are like, Oh, of course you're the, you're, you're the ultimate networker. And, uh, but this is all to say, I remember just, uh, no one really taught me how to do it. And so, uh, I was a little bit naive, I'm only now five years in really starting to understand the comedy club world and it takes time. And I was talking with uh, Adam on the first episode of Gatekeeper about that. Like he's just a year and a half in now and a lot of comics, you know, cutting some slack, letting people kind of get their bearings. And, you know, when you're trying to make an entertainment, like you want to get in, you want to break in now. And so if someone said, wait, you have to wait five years before the booker gets it fully figured out, you can't, you're like, what? But it's, it's one of the unfortunate realities is, uh, it takes time for people to, to kind of learn and, and understand. And especially booking a comedy club, it's, uh, you know, it's an art in and of itself, the art of dealing with all the politics, but also the art of crafting a show. And like any art, it takes those maybe not 10,000 hours, but, you know, hundreds of hours of watching shows and seeing it all to really figure out how to, to program it in just the right way. So comics, be patient. Yeah. You know, well, I think part of the problem is that, you know, certain reality shows that were based around stand up, you know, they would only show 30 seconds of com- of a certain comics act. And I think that gave a lot of people the idea of, Oh, I just need, one or two minutes to get on TV and mm-hmm. I'll be a star and I get to headline the improv on a Friday night. And, uh, it, it's, uh, no, it doesn't work like no, that. No, it doesn't at all. I don't know if you talked about that on past, um, past podcast, past podcast, past, well, that should be the name <coughs> of this podcast, the past podcast, the past podcast. podcast. but this is, it's, it's, uh, every once in a while, you know, the stars align and, you know, a young comic can break in a year or two, but for ninety nine percent, it's it's a ten to fifteen year slog. Jesus, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> but I mean, I yeah, like I don't think people realize Russell Peters had had been uh, a semi struggling comic for fifteen years. Yeah, and, when I say ten to fifteen, but that's also twenty to twenty five. Yeah, oh Jesus, I hope <laughs> 30, 35, 45 years. I'm still waiting for a call back <laughs> from the Kilborn show in two thousand six. <laughs> I think I think they've uh, I think it's gonna come through. You have to, yeah. 
Well, I, I don't know. I mean, that, you know, and Montreal New Faces, I think, uh, 04, I killed it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, I think, uh, I'll just say it, like America's Got Talent, you know, I think they have had more stand up than, than, uh, the earlier, uh, seasons of that show. And I think people see a show like that and, you know, they show it in such a quick chunk that mm-hmm. it, it gives maybe an out of work actor the wrong idea of, Oh well, I'll just do comedy until my acting takes off. Then you know, it's kind of a similar thing with American Idol, where they would, you know, uh, show one song and some musician in Idaho is like, "Oh, I I just need one or two songs to make it." Mm-hmm. And then these comics or these musicians would make it. And then they'd have to do a full concert, and uh, it's like, "Oh, I need ten songs." Well, and that, that you see that a lot too when um, you know celebrities take on stand up, or musicians, or even athletes now are like, I can do comedy, and you know they they come up with five or ten minutes maybe, but that can't last. You know, it takes years to develop you know an an hour for most people. Uh, so the shelf life for for anyone that's not putting in the real time to develop as a comedian is it's it's so small. You're seeing that now with a lot of YouTube kind of sensations. Right. Which, frankly, we're, you know, we've experimented with that, the improv. And it's not necessarily my first choice of what to program there, but God bless it. Like, we, we've, pack, we've packed some, like, 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon, afternoon shows with pre-sale tickets sold weeks in advance for, like, a YouTube star doing a thing. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, on one of the roast battle... Uh shows maybe two months ago there was a uh a judge she was a youtube star grace mm, jones no well now <laughs> you're talking my era dolph lundgren and grace jones but uh she was a youtube star is and uh the place was packed with like fans of hers like mm-hmm. and she uh she's a very sweet person i don't know if she quite got the uh the vibe of the comedy of, of the roast battle but uh you know, she's a little overwhelmed. <laughs> sure. Which I don't blame her. But uh yeah, that's another thing, you know, these viral video stars, uh, you know, Vine stars mm-hmm. are getting into comedy and you know, you know, most of their Vine videos aren't funny. Right. That's six seconds. So, <laughs> you know, and as much as I love him, and I, I'm only mentioning his name because I do love him, but uh Cato Kalen. Mm. Uh Who's in the news again because of the uh, People versus O.J. Simpson? Oh right, uh, he got into comedy, and uh, you know, was, you know, he had a couple minutes that were okay about being O.J.'s neighbor, and then uh, kind of flamed out. Mm-hmm. And but he would get the headline, sure. Like I remember one uh, time he went to Vegas with Jeff Richards. Now Jeff Richards is like an amazing, amazing talent, and he was opening up for Cato. So I, I remember that. It was on the billboard. It was like Cato's huge picture. Yeah. And then in the teeniest like Surgeon General letter type font uh, and SNL's Jeff Richards. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh man, this business is insane. It's insane. And I think what I battle against is there's there's so many comedy purists. And, you know, I'm I'm one of them to a certain extent as far as, you know, you want to... I want the improv to always, you know, harken back to this is the fucking first comedy club and this is history. And so I, I, like I said, it's, it's not my, 
first instinct to want to try a YouTube show at four o'clock on a Saturday, or we've headlined like a an NBA star a couple of times. I won't mention the name. Yes, let's all live in peace and harmony. <laughs> yes, who is the nicest guy and is actually really fun shows. And I love when that guy does the show because I get to book the lineup and, you know, just kind of craft it. And, you know, uh, and Rita has, has helped him cultivate, like, you know, the first time this person went up, uh, they didn't know what they're doing. And so Rita, after that first show, Rita's our GM, by the way. Rita's the, I mean, been there uh, as long as I've been doing comedy and yeah. just an uh, amazing person. Yeah, Rita is an important part of um, the club's uh, history. And and I've learned so much from her. I mean, like like my first, you know, learning the, because the, the, I came from the more, for lack of a better word, alti world and the independent world of comedy and was booking the lab. And the, are we at like three hours now? No, we are an hour and a half. I'm just making okay. sure. That, but see, this is people love this. Like, this is the part where, you know, people love hearing from someone. Like, I mean, like I said, the most outside of Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, you know, his episode, unfortunately, the numbers were really increased after he died. Oh. But, you know, thank you, Roddy. You know, you really bumped the numbers up. <laughs> uh, it's a cold world, it's podcasting business. Uh, the most popular episodes were, were, were the Tommy episodes. Which were great, by the way. I mean, you know, uh, thank you. You know, I think people, in regards to him and I, just thought I was going to have him on here and, you know, shit on him just because, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, maybe didn't have the most, uh, we had a weird relationship, I guess you'd say. And uh, But I wanted you and, and hopefully Adam one day, on to just give a not necessarily a counterpoint to his uh, the way he ran things but um well look there's always no matter what you're you're always working for other people and there's always there's so many factors that go into how you book a club in comedy but i just i love listening to those episodes because it, there's so much insight into the the history and his relationship with mitzi and um he's such a character yeah, I mean, he, uh, but you know, you're, you know, people want to, you know, I always try and uh, equate the comedy scene in LA to bands. And uh, like I would say, like the comedy store is more like Metallica, Motorhead. It's, it's kind of dark, it's aggressive in a good way. Uh, you know, I would say the Laugh Factory is kind of like a boy band, you know, <laughs> it's very, uh, you know, you, you just go there, you leave. You know, there's not really a lot of hanging out there. I went to see my friend showcase the other night, and it's like ten bucks and a two drink minimum. I'm like, oh, I'm a comic, and they're like, good for you. It's ten bucks. You know, it's not. It wasn't That's crazy. And I, I'm not trying to get you to uh, speak badly about any other. It was just wasn't the most uh, accommodating. Uh, yeah, it, but you know what I love about the store and the improv is it's it's very welcoming to comics. Like, even if you're not going to get stage time there, you still feel like part of the family. And uh, yeah. I would say the improv is kind of like, and I mean this, and the <laughs> knowing my love of music, I would say the improv is kind of like a, like a Rolling Stones meets Bon Jovi. Like, hmm. it's something for everyone. 
I didn't I didn't see that coming. Well, no, I mean I mean it in like you know you've got the history of the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones, but you've got the uh, the, the, f- the living on a prayerness. Right, of, you know, okay, you know, because I know for a lot of comics, new, famous, and anything in between, like, the store is intimidating Mm because it's the end. There's definitely an energy there that's, uh, um, and aggressive (laughs) might not be the wrong, right word. What was the word? uh, I mean, aggressive might not, I don't want to scare people off. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's definitely a, uh, I mean, you can still feel Mitzi there mm-hmm. and, and just the history of, uh, you know, that whole building that used to be Ciro's and where mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio would go. And, and But you you get a similar but different energy at the improv. Well, here's what I'm trying to bring. I want to bring more of a John Coltrane vibe. Right. Um, and that, especially with that lab, I like, like, I want there to be that jazziness and the, the classiness and, and I keep quoting from the interview I just did with Adam for the new podcast, but... And where can people find this new podcast? It's on the Sideshow Network, which is actually Levity, who is the owner of the Improv. And it's a you know massive um, company, but it's their podcast network. Um, so go to sideshownetwork.tv or you just go on iTunes and look up Gatekeeper with Jamie Flam. Uh and please listen to that first episode because it's it's very rare. I listen to them all, but like it, it's incredibly rare to get the two, not the main, the two bookers of of the two best comedy clubs in the city in the same room. And uh, I'm sure because there are slightly different energy levels to both clubs that you know you guys uh, differ in in how you book to a degree, but also I'm sure there's 80% of the same thought process goes in. So it totally, it's really, uh, please listen to it because it's a fascinating. And also please listen to this. Yes. Inappropriate Earl <laughs> on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, you're double dipping with the SoundCloud and the iTunes. Well, you know, I, I uh, you know, I'm just trying to make it. You know, so I'm kidding. I think it's pretty, pretty standard. I, yeah, multi-platform. Yeah. I don't know how to get on Stitcher. To be honest with you, that's like seems to be the big the the one. Uh, They're like a fortress Stitcher. Yeah, I don't I don't know how Stitcher works. Although my other podcast is on Stitcher. Well, you are, what are you, uh, you're like the Dean Del Rey of, uh, how many podcasts do you have going? Uh, one, three. So what are they? But one of them is kind of now on, on hold. On hiatus. On hiatus. That one's, it's a Van Jam, which was this ambitious project that Vanessa, my writing partner, I started about a year ago. I was convinced that that was going to be our ticket. And it was so much fun, but it was it was ambitious in that it was sketches and songs and interviews. It was going to be this variety podcast, and we did five episodes that are available for download. But I quickly realized I will burn out. I, there's no way I can produce this at the level I want, and book this club, and do all these other things I want to be doing. But the long shot, I've been doing that for six years, and we've developed this great fan base or listener base, I should say. It's kind of weird to call them fans, but. Uh, it's uh, myself, Sean Conroy. I don't know if you know Sean. 
A name sounds familiar. <laughs> he's uh like he's a, a big part of the UCB world. He came up, you know, one of the first people at UCB. So he does their big ASCAT show. He's a you know brilliant improviser and a great stand-up in his own right. Um, although he's been doing mostly writing the last couple of years. But uh um and then Eddie Pepitone. Oh, it's a legend. He's he's he was at the club last night. He's so fucking good. Um and then Amber Kenny. And Amber, when we started six years ago, she was in her twenties. I was in my thirties and still in my thirties. You know, Sean in his forties, Eddie in his fifties. And we kind of came together. It was kind of very random. It started with Eddie and I talking about it. And then Eddie was like, Sean wants to be part of this. And then Sean was like, I want to bring Amber on. So we didn't really all know each other that well outside of Eddie and Sean and me and Eddie. And uh, this podcast started and just organically over the last six years has developed to the point where Eddie left after the last season. Now this guy named Joe Wagner's on, but we're talking about life, um, which is pretty broad, but we always check in with what's going on in our life. And the, you know, the first season, six years ago, it started, it was right before I was at the improv. I was living with my grandma, 33 years old, maybe at, you know, what the fuck am I doing in my life? Like I just got out of a seven year relationship and um you know living with my grandma which i'm so glad i live with my grandma she was the best and it was a great opportunity to do that as an adult <laughs> but that said when you get to the year, early 30s and all your friends are getting married and buying houses and you're like i chose comedy as my life <sighs> tell me about it so i'm bringing this to the podcast and uh and then and that and then a year later being like all right now i'm booking the lab and now i'm booking the improv and and it's for so for all of us and watching Amber as it starts an open micer with the dream of somehow combining dance and, and comedy. And in the last year she's been on TV twice, um, doing stuff with her comedy dance team and Sean Conroy, like, uh, uh, just his ups and downs, but going from where he was now to like now an executive producer on an animated series for adult swim and, Eddie left because he, he'd reached this new point where the documentary coming out on him. So, and through it all, talking about the intense struggles of being and pursuing a career in the arts. It's tough. It's, it's the hardest thing ever. I mean, it's a lot tougher than I ever figured. And I'm from here. Like, I thought it was very, you know, I naively thought, oh, I'll just work hard for the first couple of years. No one will outwrite me. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'm like Kiss. I just write an amazing volume of jokes, most of them bad, but, I, you know, I get to the good ones and it's like, wow, that's not even half the battle. It's schmoozing. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I started with Whitney Cummins and uh, she was always one step ahead of everyone else. Like she had the most amazing ability to walk into a room of a hundred people and figure out who can help me mm -hmm. and go right to that person. And make them feel like they were the king of the world. And uh, she's on billboards. And uh, I'm uh, playing a bar in Costa Mesa tonight. So uh, who did you talk to in those rooms? Uh, you know, I I just I was found the drug dealers. No, I, I didn't even do drugs. I, I just uh, I would talk to people about Kiss and Rat and uh, break down uh, Kiss's uh, mid '80s discography. And uh, you know, Whitney would go home and. I don't know, look up the agency book and go, okay, who who can I get my tape to? And, uh, you know, I, I'd come home and watch hockey fight tapes. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Well, that just brings up another thing too for comics is like, 
and I'm so uh, self-conscious right now talking a lot about this stuff because I, I talk about it nonstop on, on the other podcasts, but the, the idea of like there's, these platforms exist where you can become undeniable in other ways. And um, there's no reason you shouldn't be shooting some sort of web series or making content uh, and building your audience now and doing your jokes every day on Twitter. And why do that? <laughs> but it, it, I don't, do you find it helps? Um, I think it, it, for me, it's helped give me a fan base. Uh, you know, like last night I was, uh, I guess you'd call it live tweeting during the, uh, the, that, uh, that MMA uh, fight card because it was, uh, it was so ridiculous what was going on. Like the main event was, um, you know, the UFC, do you watch, uh, do you follow uh, MMA at all? Uh, no. I mean, UFC is like the NFL. It's like, you know, no one's there who shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the UFC's, I don't even know if you call them competition. It would be like the improv considering uh, Sal's comedy hole. Uh, <laughs> oh, good old Sal. I, I listen, Sal's probably been nicer to me than anyone in this business. I've never seen a guy so happy losing so much money, but... <laughs> That, that's another pod that's the business podcast but uh you know the main event last night were these two uh youtube stars uh that basically became famous for street fighting mm. and uh this company bellator decided well they're popular let's put them on our main card and uh it was just so i would uh, make jokes about what was going on and uh you know every now and then if i have a hot one i'll, I'll throw it out there and uh you know, it, it does help, you know, but you know, like I have a friend, Whitney Rice, who, uh, she's a comic, but she's, and I don't mean this in a, uh, you know, bad way, but she is a, uh, YouTube, uh, star of sorts. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she is, I think she was frustrated with the, the comedy club, uh, you know, politics, whatever you want to call it. So she's like, fuck it. I'm going to make videos every day. And, uh, just now signed with one of the biggest management, if not the biggest company in the world. So it's, you know, I think you're right. That is, I think people are so sad and I want, I want to be passed at the improv or get spots at the mm -hmm. improv. And that's it. That's all there is. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to go there. And like, maybe if they did other things, it's like an end around way to get in at the improv. Absolutely. And I also say this a lot too. It's like, I know so many comics now and I know the ones that are going up all over town, whether it's the store or clubs or indie shows or whatever it is. And you know, word gets back to me too. Yeah. If you're killing at every little bar show and, and backyard show and stuff like that, that's going to get back to me too in a million ways because I feel like the industry, there's so many young agents and managers now that are love comedy that, are in the scene as much as anyone else. And so between them and the comics around town, like I will hear <clears throat> about your great sets from other people. So it's like, just always be going up and getting better and don't put your, all your eggs in like just one basket of one club. Oh yeah. I mean, that was like the one thing that kept me sane, like, you know, not getting in at the comedy store for so long, uh, was I would go up other places and, 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 you know, not that I'm one to give advice. You're probably more qualified to say this. No, you've, I mean, I feel like, you know, as a booker, I, I see a different side of it, but <clears throat> anyone that's been in comedy as long as you have, you know, you've, you've got the, those 10,000 hours. Uh, <laughs> no? Bad idea. 
But I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, one of these people, uh, you know, here's how you make it when I haven't made it myself. I don't know what making it is, but like. Well, I don't know what making it is. I don't think anyone can say what making it is. And uh, I don't think there's any magical formula. And but, even me, like, I don't know why certain people just blew up. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why, more so on the other side, I don't know why so many of the most talented people I've ever seen can't get, you know, steady work as a comic or just haven't hit. It just like it boggles my mind. Yeah, oh, it's that's an insane uh, part of the business for me is uh, just like like you said, like certain people who should make it don't. Certain people who do, I'm not saying shouldn't, but like you kind of scratch your head and go, wow, sure. you know, I just did a show with them and uh, they didn't exactly kill it. But you know, there's so much more to this business than just being funny yeah you know it's not enough well maybe i'll, I'll end with like uh <laughs> um something more inspiring but because by the way i feel like the more podcasts i do talking about this stuff it might come off that i don't like comics or and there's certainly a, you know when you're surrounded in this world by comedians that you know, largely just want something from you and just the, the industry as a whole, there's going to be some sort of jadedness or, uh, but at, at my core, I love comics at my core. I am a comic and that makes my job all the tougher, but I, I truly uh, respect and appreciate everyone that's working hard to become better. And ultimately connection is what it's all about. And it's trying to connect with uh, an audience and connect on material that means something to you that will hopefully mean something to them. And remembering like, that is an interesting concept of what is making it. Have you made it if you're getting paid to do comedy, but you're doing maybe cruise ships or you're, you're doing like, you know, small venues where people <laughs> largely don't like you. I've um, been there. <laughs> but I mean, I think like, you know, I think ever since Jim Carrey got, I think it was $20 million for cable guy. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, the lead, paragraph in every article about that was he was a stand-up comic living in his van in toronto and that just put it in so many people's heads that's making it mm -hmm. 20 million a film uh, you know to some people making it is russell peters playing hockey arenas you know uh, chris D'Elia, billboards on every show he does but then to others it's eddie pepitone who is a legend to me mm -hmm. and so there's different levels. Uh, I even had a comic come up to me and said, I want to be you one day. It's a younger comic. I'm like, oh boy, you better, uh, you better change your uh, <laughs> career, uh, like admiration real fast. So, I mean, you know, there's, I but guess. I understand that. Like if, if, if you hang out the store a lot and they see you up on stage um, as a regular and, and doing these shows and uh, it's uh I get that. Like, um, there's something to aspire to. It, it, you're getting to perform on a hallowed stage. Oh, I, I mean, I, uh, you know, a lot of people, well, a fair amount of people complain, you know, I'm going up too late. Uh, you know, I don't want to go up this late. I want to go on after this person. It's like, Hey, you know, you know how many people at the improv, you know, it's like, I, I did Josh's show at the improv. So I'm just like, got on at one in the morning and, it's like heaven to me. It's like this is the improv stage. It's the, the 
comedy store stage. Mm -hmm. It's like, like at the comedy store, yes, there's hundreds, thousands of names on the wall, but there's probably 10 times that who aren't on the wall. So, you know, I think if, if I can end this on one note, mm -hmm. uh, it's be grateful for any stage time. Absolutely. Especially at the improv or the comedy store, because, you know, regardless of the size of the crowd, you know, there's a lot of people who would kill to be on that stage. So it would kill to kill. I just remembering why you should do comedy. I, it really should be because it, you have to express yourself and you have to get the stuff off your chest or um, write and, you know, have it be an art form versus, and this is, this will be my last point. No, please. Validation versus connection is a couple of years ago, because I've, I've been actively trying to intellectualize what I see and, and what works and doesn't work and, and what what this art form that is comedy and stand-up comedy is. And this is from my own experience too. Like it, it's this idea of validation when you're doing it for validation and God knows 99.9% .9 of comics, we all have some weird ego sure. issues and <laughs> want attention for one reason or another. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we, we want to be on stage and people look at us. And so there's always going to be some measure of ego. Uh, but when you're doing it for validation, meaning you want people to like you and you want people to think you're funny um, versus doing it just to, to straight up connect with people. I equate that to, so look at, at the end of a set, if you're doing it for strictly validation, you're a slave to whatever that was. If, if you had a great set, you're high on life. If you had a shitty set, the world hates you. That audience hates you. Um, versus if, if, and this is how you grow as, as a stand-up. if you're, if you're really trying to do it to connect, if you have a bad set, you can now more objectively look at like, all right, not why did the audience hate me, but why did I not connect? Why did what I was saying into a microphone, not, you know, connect with this audience. And then you can like, um, that's where the craft of it comes in. You know, sometimes it's a shitty audience, but, uh, you can be like, all right, maybe if I word it like this. And if at the core of it, what you're trying to say is important to you to express, then you will find, you know, after doing this joke and, and working with it, the, the way to say it that will connect at a higher level. I, and I, I use Louis C.K. as an example all the time because, you know, the last few years as he worked up for his specials, you know, he'll do two or three uh, headline nights at the improv. And a couple of years ago, he did, I think, four times throughout the year. And watching his act you know, like in March or April and how it, it had changed and morphed by the end of the summer. Don't quote me on these, this timeline, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you could see like, you know, this three minute chunk. And when he came back a few months later, it was now like a minute long. Right. Uh, but to actually see that, that crafting and then figuring out every, you know, piece of the act and how you can, uh, make it more economical or just get to the point quicker. Anyway, I can talk for another four hours if you want. I do. No, I don't want to though. But here's the thing. <laughs> I like to get the audience really get their teeth sunk into someone. So they want to hear more. So at some point I would like to have you back. I'd love to come back. I, this is the comic in my brain. Like, Oh my God, everyone, everyone hates me. 
I don't think so at all. I, I honestly have never heard a bad word about you. And it's like the, within the first minute of this podcast, I think it's because of your, uh, the way you say no, you know, I think there's a, it's the hardest job in the world from you to Adam, to Tommy, to, um, you know, the book at the laugh factory, the Hermosa magic club, you know, uh, the ice house, any club in the country, really. Mm -hmm. You have to say no hundreds of times a week. Uh, and, but I, I think where someone like say Tommy got into trouble was he would encourage people. He had no, uh, intentions of fostering into a regular or, or whatever. And, you know, you and Adam, I think, are you're honest. It's like, Hey, you know, this is the process. There's a lot of people ahead of you and, or like what you told me, I'll never forget it. it you know, and I really appreciate it because it's like, okay. Now I know when I come up here, I'm probably not going to get up, you know, but uh, if there's the smallest chance, I will, but I'm happy with that versus you saying to me, hey, you're great, uh, calling your veils, and yeah, yeah, we'll get you in, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know. Well, I do say now, like, I'll always be like, you know, whether it's sending your veils or like with the caveat, like, here's how it works. What And part of the reason I was excited to come on your podcast and why I started the Gatekeeper podcast was because hopefully comics will listen to this and it just saves me a lot of time Yeah, uh, because I, I, the more that the comedy community understands this other side of it and the more I can help kind of groom them to understand how to be cool as fuck or how to fake it at least fake uh, it till you make it. But I, I want to demystify it so I don't have to have the conversation all the time. And then the more people that understand, uh, I think the better it is for everybody and the less personal people take it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, I guess in the beginning I took it personal, like, Oh, I'm funny. <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, there's 200 people who are funny too, Earl. And they I have think TV there, and there's more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, uh, you know, so many deserving people, but in, until there's, you know, 60 comedy clubs in the city, you know, there's right now there's three mm -hmm. and you know, it's, I mean, if I have one regret in, in comedy that I started in LA, because I think it's probably the worst city to start in. I agree. Yeah, because you're, you have to have connections to get in and open mics now, uh, you know, versus if you're from Idaho or, you know, Saskatoon. You, the Saskatoon scene right now is... It's bumping. Yeah. Uh, no, it's so true. I, I think of, uh, I, won't, I won't mention names, but I mean, yeah, I think, you know, moving to a place like Portland or wherever you are, you know, there, there's people want comedy, but become the best ever and where there's already a buzz when you're coming to LA. Yeah. Cause like, you know, there are people in Portland and Seattle and, um, Chicago that they, when they come here, they're already undeniable. Yeah. yeah. And then you just hit the ground running. Whereas yeah. like, uh, you know, my case and others, many others, you know, you you start out, you're on a show with people who you probably shouldn't be on a show with yet because they're just higher quality than you are. And then, you know, on the worst case scenario, you're in the room and you're like, you remember the bad ones, don't you? I, I mean, yeah. like, you know, I, I, I try not to judge. I know that there's bad nights and good nights, but I was going back to the open mic thing too, like, Yes, it's it should be a place to work stuff out. Um, 
but especially when you're at like the improv and especially when I'm in the room, do three minutes of jokes that have punchline. Yeah, and don't like complain about, well, I'm, a, I'm at this open mic. I should be on comedy juice. Well, you know, wake up, Johnny. Fucking Johnny. You know, like Richard Crenna said to Stallone at the end of Rambo, it's over, Johnny. Wake up. Come on home. If you don't like your place in the comedy world, get funnier. I'm, I wish I could uh, tag another Crenna quote. Well, no, I, I don't think you, I see. That's the problem with my comedy, Jamie. I, I, but it goes back to what you're saying. Like, I love talking about the eighties. It's because it's the era I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I might lose an audience on, uh, you know, oh, Miami vice joke. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but you're right. It's validation versus, you know, we all want to be loved. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm a big kiss fan and, you know, Gene Simmons, it's like a bucket list, uh, you know, want for this podcast, but that's another story. Uh, you can make it. If you can dream it, you can make it. I see it's on your vision board over there. It, well, it, it kind of is, actually, along with my uh, autographed picture of Chewbacca. I saw that. Um, you know, it's like Gene Simmons has a lot of musicians say they want to get into comedy or uh, music for, you know, a higher self and whatnot it's like bullshit they want money and they want girls and you know i mean myself as a comic i love the validation of a crowd who doesn't everyone wants that validation and there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's this art form where there's one thing you're you want and that's laughs and when you get it in theory you've accomplished what you want to accomplish um but that, that that's the challenge to all comics and I like especially young comics really really before your next set or for the next few weeks as you're going up try to make that distinction before you go on, on stage and even when you're writing I am writing to connect is what I'm writing uh, relatable and will people connect with it and right before you go on remember that too or actually right when you when you get off stage just ask yourself what connected and what did not connect tonight? And of course, you know, record all your sets and, and go back through them. But what connected, what didn't connect? And that's all you need to look at. And then try to determine why. And like I said, it's like, it's sometimes like, oh, all right, there's four people and it was 1.30 a.m. So it was going to be tough for anyone to connect at that point. Um, but for a good show, it's like, all right, this joke kind of fell flat. How can I, you know, rewrite this so that maybe it'll connect next time and at a certain point also too like all right i've, I've tried this 30 times maybe it's time to to lose it because you know it's just it's not gonna connect at this point well, that's tough i i have a joke about baby godzilla that i'm obsessed with and i gotta be I like this i like this is where this is going but it, it's great to hear you say that because uh and I'm not saying it's like the George Carlin seven words you can't say on TV <laughs> bit, but I, you know, I was a big fan of the the Baby Godzilla movie because I cry to this day every time I see the end of it. It's a great ending where like Godzilla fights the monster, and uh, it's snowing, and he at the end is walking hand in hand with Baby Godzilla in the snow and i'm telling you like godzilla and baby godzilla yeah they like baby godzilla was like watching the whole time his dad beat up this like three-headed monster and and 
there was a scene earlier where uh, Godzilla's trying to teach baby Godzilla how to blow smoke. And, uh, like baby Godzilla is trying so hard and he's these little baby smoke rings are coming out. He just can't do it. And finally Godzilla whacks him over the head with his tail and he blows out this monster. And it was just like a very abusive father. Uh, and, no, that's kind of his, his deal. Right. But it's, that's the basis of the joke. And then, you know, it's never gotten a laugh once <laughs> ever. I mean, I, Probably told it 50 times, all different types, improv, comedy store, uh, the YooHoo room. I even, you know, when a room doesn't, when a joke doesn't work in the YooHoo room, you know, it's probably time to toss it. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, I just, I'm so passionate about that movie that I. Maybe there's another place for that joke. Maybe it's a, it's a good comic strip or right. short film. R right. I just, you know. Uh, and then I more send a, you know, Mrs. Godzilla and how big her vagina must be if a baby Godzilla came out of it. <laughs> Godzilla, you know, I, I don't want to bomb in my own living room. So I'll just, uh, it's so funny. Cause you're standing up right now. <laughs> I know. Hey guys, stay hey, you out of town. I'm playing in front of the booker, the improv and the, my dog. I wish there was a picture of this. I'm literally just on the couch and you're standing up with a mic. Doing your Godzilla jokes. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, uh, I understand what you're saying. There are jokes that, uh, you know, if it's not getting a laugh 50 times in a row, it, it might be time to either rewrite it or toss it. Yeah. Yeah. So self-edit comics. You've got, don't listen to me. Listen, you got what you got. The gatekeeper of the <laughs> gatekeeper podcast telling you. By the way, that's it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Like, uh, it's not like. I think that's important for me. Like I'm coming at it with a sense of humor, almost the idea that like really there's just as much luck and uh, so many factors for anyone to become a quote, like a decision maker. But you are a gatekeeper. Like, and that's yeah. not me trying to kiss your ass. It's, I would say to Adam, uh, I mean, you want to get in at the improv or comedy store uh, or any other club. You're the guy. Yep. Uh, and there, and that's there, there, yes, there's gatekeepers. To certain things but uh one of the points is that we're all our own gatekeeper too uh i don't need to get into that just listen to gatekeeper <laughs> so uh yeah listen to the gatekeeper podcast sideshow network sideshow.tv yeah i think so okay well just look up sideshow network it's yeah, one what's of it's great not... now is there's a you can ask google anything you want and there's algorithms, I guess. And so then you type in uh, the letters for the words that you want to get more information on. And then you, you click the, you either enter or you can use your mouse uh, to click. There's actually a button on the internet. And then Google will, are you going to slowly maybe um, fade out over this? Oh, no, no. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just. No, just... I think that'd be probably a good idea. It's well, no, no, Sideshow Network. Just Google Sideshow Network. Jamie Flam. Now, this is where I tell people, hey, uh, are you on this website? That I'm assuming you don't want the masses. Are, do you like people following you on Twitter or what? Oh, Twitter, sure. It's just at Jamie Flam. Yeah. How do you spell that for some of my fans? J-A-M-I-E-F-L-A-M. And then uh, do you do Instagram, stuff like that? I got an Instagram. I think it's Flammy Davis Jr. 
Flammy Davis Jr. If you can figure out how to spell it, then follow him on Instagram. Yeah, you know, if not, sorry, those are the breaks. Follow him on Twitter. And don't direct message me for any hot uh, emails or private lines to Jamie. You've heard him <laughs> for the last two hours. Oh, my God. No, but this is great, though. It didn't seem like two hours. I mean, listen, I've done some... Uh, episodes where you know 50 minutes in i'm like i jesus i got nothing to say to this person uh but uh you know i mean i could you know tommy came on for basically four hours yeah. uh and you know it, it's i really think that hopefully comics listen to this and it makes your job easier and theirs easier you know you now know uh to a degree what it is like to say no to hundreds of people so don't take it personally Work hard, get more successful, and you can, uh, you know, navigate the minefield of LA comedy. Hey, very good luck. This has been maybe one of the great episodes of Inappropriate Earl, episode 103, at Jamie Flam on Twitter. You know, I'm at Earl Skakel, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please rate and review us. It does help. There's a lot of. I'm no Joe Rogan. I'm no Mark Maron. I'm just like, you know, a B-teamer. But it does help if you review our humble little podcast here. And uh, everyone tweet at Gene Simmons. Let's get him on this podcast to get daddy to the next level. We'll see you soon.